name is not Dr. Google. I'm Dr. V. I want you to be healthy and happy, so we're going to talk about all the things I can't fit into a 15-minute appointment. Let's get started. Step into my office. Hey, it's Dr. V, and welcome back for another episode of Office Visits with Dr. V. This is an educational, informational podcast where we are here to empower you about your medical health. And today, I have one of my favorite, favorite people. She's such a very unique spirit. And this will not be her last time on the podcast. Or maybe we have to wait and see. So I have today with us, Kess Tongtum. Woo! Finger snaps. She is a nurse practitioner. And I have personally worked with... Cass since what 2012 sounds about right 2012 and for full disclosure she is my gynecologist and you are mine and you are over each other's first (laughs) okay not really but (laughs) yeah so we we've taken care of each other and I respect her medical I want to say acumen but I respect her medical judgment um, especially enough because she takes care of me And we are talking about something that I think a lot of women struggle with at a certain particular time of their life. We're going to be talking about hot flashes, hot flashes. Uh, We can also touch on night sweats and we can talk about the, the differences between the two per se. I will tell you that I have looked back at our downloads on our episodes and we previously did an episode on menopause. And that episode was very general, very broad, but a lot of you have checked that out. That's probably the second highest downloaded episode after our mental health episode. So this is something I get asked about a whole lot. And I know Kess does as a nurse practitioner that works in women's health. So first question, Kess. Drumroll. Okay, that might have messed up the sound. (laughs) All right, first question. Why do we get hot flashes? That's a great question. I think that touches on how we end up diagnosing it and treating it. A lot of women, when they get their hot flash, they assume it's because of menopause. And if it is related to menopause, it's because at that time, the ovaries are producing less of the hormone that helps to keep the temperature balanced, so like estrogen. And as you go through menopause and your ovarian function declines, you produce less and less estrogen to where we'll see some of the fluctuations of temperature or other hot flashes. Gotcha. So will all women get hot flashes? I don't, I couldn't say all women would get hot flashes. I think Mm -hmm. every woman's going to experience some change of temperature as far as a hot flash. Mm -hmm. But I Mm -hmm. think the severity is very different for each female. And it, again, touches on many of the underlying factors that are going on in her health and things that she may be doing or not doing. Mm -hmm. So for full disclosure, I will tell you all that I am in my 40s, my mid-40s, and I'm 46, and so I get warm. So something is changing with my thermostat, but it's not a flash. 
Traditionally, what I've heard from my patients is they just feel all of a sudden like someone lit a match and it could start from their head and go to their toes or vice versa. And all of a sudden they feel warm and want to rip off all their clothes. And so I think that hot flashes can vary as, you know, how they show up. Some women who always have to carry a sweater with them wherever they go, now all of a sudden they don't need that sweater anymore. But something does change with the thermostat. I, I definitely agree. Kiss, <laughs> I forgot to ask you an important question before we get started. Who is Kiss? So this is just a general question. Just so our listeners know who's behind uh, the voice, you can tell us about your professional background, your, per- your personal background. She is an amazing mother. She will be back to talk with us about that in a later episode. But who is Kess? All right. Kess. Kess. I'm trying to learn not to make me just my job. So oh, I'm yeah. start with that. <laughs> Finger snap. Right. So I am a Greensboro resident now for the past maybe six years, but lived in North Carolina since 2004. I have two girls, uh, 13 and 10, a very supportive husband. And I am also a women's health nurse practitioner that's been practicing for the past 17 years. And tell us, what is a women's health nurse practitioner? And what, and what is a nurse practitioner? That's a great question. A, a nurse practitioner is um, a nurse, so an RN, a bachelor's degree nurse that went on to get their master's or graduate studies in, it's a master's of science, and you can specialize in pediatrics or women's health or just general adult family. And that allows you then, because it's another two to three years, uh, especially when you're in the master's program, it allows you to then uh, prescribe and treat patients on your own under the supervision of a physician. Did you go straight through or did you ever like work in a hospital? I worked at Ohio State University as an RN while I was in graduate school. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what excites you about women's health? Everything. Women's health is really my passion. I feel like women are the key element in a family situation to maintain the family health, maintain the family balance. Not to say that men can't do that as well, but I I, I do feel a lot of it falls on the female shoulders. So if I can influence and encourage and empower the female body, that often trickles through the whole family. Yeah. And you guys, right before we came on, we were talking about, you know, Kess and I both have transitioned a little bit in how our work-life balance looks now. And, you know, this is not, we're not talking about hot flashes, but I'm just going to put in a plug that you have got to take care of you. That's what she always tells me. you got to take care of you. Amen. All right. Okay, back to hot flashes, because the people who are probably listening... <laughs> Aren't having a hot flash right now. (laughs) We are way off topic. Okay. So we talked about hot flashes, the estrogen decreases, kind of like what they feel like. This is really the big thing. People want to know, like, what can we do to get rid of these, to make them not so bad? 
Right. So if someone comes to my office and says, Cass, I'm, I'm, I'm miserable. I'm having hot flashes. The first thing I say to them, because often, I mean, I might have a patient that's in her 70s and long time went through menopause mm-hmm. and is now feeling hot flashes. Or I might have a patient in her 30s and she feels like, oh, my goodness, I'm going through menopause in my 30s. And the average age of menopause is around 51. So we want to be cognizant of that when we're thinking, is this really a, a hormone imbalance or hormone change? So I look to patients and I say, well, yes, it could definitely be menopause. It could be hormone related. But before we dig down and then assume it's menopause related, I like for them to rule out some other factors as well. Correct. Uh, so looking at, you know, is their thyroid, has their thyroid been checked recently? And looking at some lifestyle changes that may be influencing influencing the, the hot flashes. And the number one thing that I can see are stressors. But if if the female says, yes, this, you know, I'm 51 and this just, just happened, what I then encourage them to consider before we start medication, because I'm all about, you know, not using medication unless you absolutely need to, would be, are there some lifestyle changes that you can do? Even though it may be related to the estrogen imbalance, there's still a lot that you can do that has been studied and found to be effective in reducing hot flashes before we even get to prescriptions. Right, right. So let's talk about some of those lifestyle changes because it, let, let's start with kind of what we eat. Sure. So caffeine is a huge mm-hmm. one, right? Mm-hmm. And so if I can have patients just reduce their caffeine, I've had some women that have come in just amazed, like <laughs> they're gone. You know, my hot flashes are gone and all I had to do. So you have to decide, you know, if it's worth it to you. I have some mm-hmm. females are like, I don't want to give up my caffeine. So that caffeine is a big one. Smoking is not food. I'm sorry, you said food, but smoking is is another large one. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even if it's not quitting, just reducing the amount that you're smoking is is going to be do a lot for you Mm -hmm. in the way of hot flashes. Um, Another food will be spicy food Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, alcohol. So all the fun things, right? You're going through the tank and party is over. Right, right, right. So if, if you take away all that you enjoy, you get a... <laughs> not a hot flash, but yeah. So alcohol, spicy foods, caffeine, sugary foods, because sugar... Sugar. Oh, I remember being a little girl and I used to get this sweet tart roll. And after I had the sweet tart roll, I would have my whole body would feel hot. Oh, or I never knew why. Oh, wow. And now I know. Oh, I should have been having the whole sweet tart roll. So, yeah, those are some of the main contributors to hot flashes. Now, I will say traditionally, well, I'm trained as a traditional physician. And, you know, sometimes we don't get into the nutritional aspects of how to manage disease. That's one I learned from my patients very quick is that sugar, Mm. sugar, sugar, sugar. And they they put that together very quickly that the more sugar they eat, the worse the hot flashes. Absolutely. So, and the caffeine, oh my goodness. I had a patient who she had diabetes and high blood pressure and we'll talk about some of the other medications, but she couldn't take estrogen because of her risk factor and she was waking up drenched and it's like, oh my Lord, what am I going to do with this? This is really severe. Come to find out, she was drinking a gallon mm. of tea. She's a herbal tea connoisseur. It wasn't herbal tea. It was caffeinated tea. Black oolong tea. Mm-hmm. And she cut that out. And the hot, the hot sweats were hot sweats. The night sweats, the hot flashes completely disseminated. 
which, you know, for there are some risks to medications. So anything that you can do in the lifestyle realm is going to potentially save you from the side effects or the risk of a medication. Absolutely. And beyond food, there are other lifestyle changes that, or things that you could do in your day, like dressing in layers, <clears throat> having a fan. Sometimes I have patients, you know, put a fan, you know, under their desk or at their desk, wherever their hot flashes, sometimes their hot flashes are lower. Right. Um, wherever their hot flash may be occurring. Low hot minutes. <laughs> Wait a minute now, hold on. Just, just, where, how low are we talking about? In the genitalia? Mm-hmm. That's the only thing. It just gets really hot there. Uh, and I'm not sure if I would consider that a flash, but just that's an area that they seem to be really hot. Sweaty. Gotcha. So, you know, putting a fan, putting a fan in your bed, the type of sheets that you use. I've had a lot of patients that prefer or get a good response from cotton sheets opposed to synthetic sheets or right. silk sheets. Right. And layering the sheets. All of that can make a, dig- a big difference. And I, I think one thing that women do instinctively is get rid of some of the clothes at night. You know, if you were in long sleeve flannel gown, you know, <laughs> you got to let that go for a little bit. Right. It's it's important to, you might have to remove some of the layers at bedtime. Correct. What about other medications that we hear that you and I probably have prescribed for our patients? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So medications, when I look at medications with patients, I first say to them, you know, like, where are you? So again, if you're that seven-year-old that's feeling as though your hot flashes are because of hormones, you're probably not the the best or safest candidate to do hormone replacement therapy. So when we're when we're discussing which options might be safest as far as risk versus benefit, again looking at where you are. But for a typical female who let's say is 51 and is going through the hot flashes and has tried the other self help measures but can't get to a comfortable place, hormone replacement therapy, which would include estrogen and progestin in most cases, uh, can be very beneficial to reduce those hot flashes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you mentioned contraindications. So contraindications for the listeners, that means that not only is it like you might have a, what you might think of a side effect, but it may be a deadly or very consequential problem if you take that medication. And so... Can we go over that list of people who really do not want to take um, hormone replacement therapy again? Absolutely. So if you have a history of breast cancer, if you have a history of blood clot, stroke, DVT, not not, not good for you. If you um, have liver, a severe liver disease, that's contraindicated. Yeah, I think that's that's good. The... Smokers have an increased risk of birth control pills, but with hormone replacement therapy, you potentially, you can take estrogen therapy if you're a smoker, but smoking is not good for anyone. And in particular with a smoker, there is an increased risk of clotting. So, you know, I would, that's definitely something that I would check with your um, provider about. We hear a lot about hormone replacement therapy and birth control pills, and all of these things cause breast cancer. So some women are are miserable. They've tried all of the -the over-the-counter herbs, and they're scared to go on hormone replacement therapy because of that. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, one interesting thing that came out from the WHI was the estrogen alone arm. So they, they looked at two different arms. One was estrogen and the one was estrogen with progestin. When we look at hot flashes, the hormone that's actually helping for hot flashes is the estrogen component. So the estrogen arm did not actually show an increased risk of breast cancer. However, if you've had a previous history of breast cancer, you wouldn't want to take either estrogen or progestin. So if you have a patient that has breast cancer, then they can look to some of the non-hormonal options. And those actually can be very effective. Some, some of the efficacy is like 65 to 70% efficacy. One of those is gabapentin, or you can do antidepressant. Okay. And a lot of times when you're doing antidepressants for hot flashes, you can actually do a lower dose than you might need for antidepressant. Right. So I use Effexor, also known as venlafaxine. That's my antidepressant of choice for hot flashes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can reduce it by about 50%. There's a low-dose Paxil that is marketed as Brisdale that can also be used to help with hot flash. Sometimes, well, that Brisdale sometimes can be a little expensive and it's hard to get it covered depending on the insurance. But those are definitely my go-to for some patients who definitely have hot flashes but can't have hormonal therapy. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of the herbs and some of the, I guess, non-pharmaceutical medications that patients can take. Sure. So when we get into the herbs or non-prescriptive types of medications, I always want to just throw out a caution. Not all of the herbs or non-prescriptive strength medications have been studied to the degree as some of the FDA-approved medications. So you just want to be cautious on what the label is telling you it can or cannot do. Some that patients have done is like a black cohosh, mm-hmm. DHEA, um, soy. Those are some popular ones that are, um, and and the efficacy is hit or miss. So if you have a patient that comes, if I have a patient that comes to me is like, well, I'm doing black cohosh and it really works for me, then I, yeah. I'm like, good for you, awesome. But I do kind of, I'm a little bit hesitant to say to patients that this is going to be a definite fix for them. Absolutely. I've, I definitely feel like this is trial and error. There are a lot of things in medicine, I'm going to say a lot, but there are some things in medicine I know that if I give this medication or if I do this intervention, I'm going to get X result. Right. And this really, when we're managing hot flashes and the perimenopausal time, perimenopause is just the, the period before and after menopause, it is really, it really is patient dependent. Everybody is different. And so, yeah, black cohosh will work for some and not work for others. Little, little tidbit that I like to throw in here, there's, you know, different severities of, of your symptoms. So, there's some people who just get a little warm like me, and then there are other people who are changing their pajamas at night and having to take a shower. And so, that's <laughs> you. Oh, my God. I've got to the towel. <laughs> Not all the time. It's just when I have sugar. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> she ra- yeah. Y'all, she raised her hand when I said the bed is entrenched, so... But yeah, that changed the bed sheet drips first. Oh my gosh, it is amazing. That's amazing. So you have your own little inner cue that says, all right, get the lifestyle back in check. So for some of those patients, you know, 
if it's really severe and like in your case, you know what it is. But sometimes if you try the other things, black cohosh really might not touch somebody who's drenched every night. So you might need something a little stronger. And in that point, when we're looking particularly at soy, soy can mimic estrogen. So you don't want to overdo. I mean, I tell my kids all the time, just because it's natural doesn't mean it can't hurt you, kind of like a black widow spider. So you don't want to overuse, even if it's necessarily natural, because you can have like breast tenderness and those sort of symptoms Mm -hmm. from soy products. Exactly. And just a little tidbit, you know, I think we've talked about this before. People are afraid of soy, but it affects a different receptor than regular estrogen. So there was a thought that, oh, my gosh, I'm eating soy and I'm going to get breast cancer. But now that we know that there's two different types of receptors, alpha and beta, and they work in two different ways, the soy is not necessarily going to put you at risk for cancer. And we actually think it's protective. However, it does stimulate the estrogen receptor. And so some of those symptoms, like you said, can be mimicked. Right. I, I've never seen, though, somebody who who ate that much soy that they had those symptoms. But I guess it's possible. But but yeah, that's a that's a wonderful option that I like for patients to use as well. You were saying, you kept saying age, the age of 51. 51. So age. When exactly are we going to necessarily, if it's, if it's due, if hot flashes are due to perimenopause, when are our listeners or their wives or partners, uh, when are they going to uh, experience hot flashes? Well, you know, if, if, if you'd asked me that question before I had children, <laughs> I would have stuck with the book's definition of around 51, like around the time that I'm going to go through the change. Oh, the book. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I started having my hot flashes after my second child. Mm-hmm. And it was, I would assume, maybe hormone related because of the hormone changes with pregnancy and maybe with breastfeeding. But I didn't have them prior to that. And so I, I definitely look at a patient and, and, and hear them and, and meet with them where they are. So it's, I, I would assume we're actually having somewhat hormone changes throughout, depending upon what else is going on, whether you might be pregnant, breastfeeding, or going through menopause. It may not just be this moment of menopause. Right. Uh, right. But yeah, so, and you can maybe look towards other family members to kind of get an idea of when you might go through menopause if your history is somewhat similar, but it is a little bit genetic linked to that as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the average age is 51. So, but you could start having hormone changes because of ovarian um, decline, ovarian function decline, or, or where we're having less and less production of hormones from our ovaries years prior to that, where you said the perimenopause time. And there's no exact... I don't know if studies that show an exact, like where we've looked at three years ahead, what it looks like as far as how much we're putting, because everyone puts out different amounts. Exactly. And so you can kind of get kind of scary too when you go to places that tell you, well, you need to have this certain amount, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, which that kind of leads into my next question. Patients always want to have a a lab result. Say, am I in menopause? Right. What are your, I have my thoughts about it and, you know, doctors, we have our own little way of doctors, nurse practitioners, health providers have their own way of practicing. If a woman says, I want to know if I'm in menopause, how do you approach that? Well, if she wants to know she's in menopause, that's the period, but perimenopause, right? I want to know if I'm in approaching yes. menopause, right? I want to okay, clarify. <laughs> <laughs> and I yes. first ask, well, why? 
right? Like, why do you want to know? Because I want to know what what they're hoping to gain from that information. That's an excellent question. Yeah. So, because you know, there there's there's a lab that's called Follicle Stimulating Hormone, and that can tell you if your ovaries are starting to try to work harder to to make a follicle come out, which means that their function is declining. But that varies from month to month, and it doesn't necessarily correlate with symptoms. So you could have an mm-hmm. FSH that is elevated, mm-hmm. and you might not have any symptoms. Right. So I, again, what am I? What my job is, is to help the patient feel their best, and I may not be able to help them necessarily one way or the other because of a lab test. Right. Exactly. So it's more than just the lab test. Absolutely, we're looking at symptoms. And so she she said a follicle. I'm just gonna for because part of my show is that I want to educate women sure. about their bodies. So you said follicle stimulating hormone. That's also known as FSH, which a lot of women sometimes know to come in and ask for. And then when we talk about follicle, the follicle is where the egg is. And so as that follicle grows and gets bigger and bigger, it bursts open, and then out comes the eggs. That's that's the background between those terms. So why is it, well, I'm trying to say this so I don't lead you to think the way I think. I'd love to hear how you think. (laughs) But uh, why might it not be a a good idea to just use the lab as an indicator of uh, menopause or perimenopause? Well, again, perimenopause, right. It, it, it fluctuates so much and there is not at this time research that says if you're this age, you should have this number. Now we do know for follicle stimulating hormone, if it's at a, you know 20 or above, then that's more likely that you're leaning towards that menopausal time. But it doesn't mean that next month it might not go down and you could be within normal range. So I think you know the one test that we potentially could use fluctuates so much. And then the other tests that are very um, popular to test would be like estrogen and progestin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I have patients that will come to me and not to say that the holistic care is bad because I'm, I'm all about holistic care, but there isn't enough research to really tell a patient, well, if your estrogen level is such and such or your progestin level is such right. and such, that, that that means you're then going to have this or that symptom. Right, right. right. And so I think that's where we, we don't really have the evidence to show a lab result and what the patient's symptoms are going to be. Right. Which gets back to what you said. I want to make you feel better. Right. That's really the most important thing. So focusing on the symptoms. And I will say, you know, if you're 25 and having hot flashes, that's a whole nother conversation. Right. But if you're around the perimenopausal age, then, then yeah, focusing on symptoms and making you feel better is very important. Let me just, again, just stress the distinction because I have a lot of patients who want, I want the FSH. I want the blood work. And, you know, I tell my patients, it looks like a zigzag. One month it can be normal, the next month it's not. And depending on where we catch you is, you know, whether it's normal, air quotes, or not. And so, but if you're having hot flashes and your peers are starting to get funky, I don't need a blood test to tell me that, and you're like 49, I don't need the test to tell me what's going on. It's kind of like puberty, you know? Right. When your breasts start growing a little bit and, you know, things start changing, you don't need a lab test to say, hey, you know, I'm starting puberty. So, and that also, I have patients, because they've had a hysterectomy, 
Mm-hmm. They're no longer having a period. That's good. You know, then they want, yeah, yeah, they want, yeah, they want it. Yeah. Same thing. I don't, you don't have to have the bleeding to tell you or the lab to tell you. It's again, looking at symptoms. And I know we're talking about hot flashes, but I think we should, I want to just also get educate you all to know that menopause, the, the hard definition is when you have not had a period for one whole year. You haven't had a period, you haven't had spotting, brown staining, nothing. And so perimenopause is you're still having a regular period or your period is starting to skip. It can it can look like different things, but you're not technically menopausal until you have not had a period for a whole year. So if you're in that camp of, I, I want to know if I'm in menopause, one way to know is that if you're still menstruating or having a period, then maybe you're close, but you're not at full menopause yet. One thing that I wanted to say is, you know, talking to family members, you talked about that, about hot flashes. Funny story, my mother, <laughs> I mean, because, you, you know, you, you say look to your family, right? And so I talked with my mom, who is a listener of this podcast. Hey, mom. <laughs> Probably one of my biggest fans. And she was like, oh, I didn't have any problems. I did fine. Come to find out, she was on Primarin <laughs> <laughs> or estrogen for like years and years. And it's like she did fine. Yeah. So before that study, you know, it was like, everybody this is your vitamin yeah. and like you just take it every day and she was perfectly fine, no right. issues. And so, yeah, just a word of caution when you're talking to your family members, especially if they're what, above the age of what, maybe 70 or 80. <laughs> so... What else do you want to want to tell us to wrap Maybe this up? Just a quick safety thing. If you happen to have a uterus and you're given hormones, then you definitely need to do the progestin. And the progestin isn't because it's helping the hot flashes, but it's helping to keep the uterus from getting uterine cancer. So we know that estrogen that doesn't have progestin with it is is going to cause in most patients to, to get uterine cancer if it's unopposed or, or not with combined with progestin. So that's just a big sort of safety net. And then also, if you go to menopause and you're like, woo, I always tell patients they should have a menopause party. Like I want to celebrate that moment. <laughs> so you've had your menopause party and then the next year, your period comes back again. That's another red flag that we definitely want to know about. It's not your period. Right. <laughs> okay, I might have said that too loud. Let me back up from the mic. If you haven't had a period and you're in menopause, it's not your period. We don't call it a period. Okay, go ahead. And you just need to come in immediately. Yes. It doesn't matter if it's a spot. Yes. So those are just two. Exactly. Red flags. So, and then that's a good point. Side effects of the hormone replacement therapy. So if you still have a uterus and you're starting Mm -hmm. a combination where you're having the estrogen and progesterone, sometimes you can have bleeding or spotting. Sure. And, and we can touch quickly on the, the different types. So if, if you're going to start a hormone replacement therapy, it, it's actually a little safer if you opt to do a non-oral. So looking at like a patch or potentially they have a spray option. Um, so it just helps the liver a bit. So a side effect of hormone replacement therapy, particularly when you have a uterus, can be that you have breakthrough bleeding or spotting. Right. But right. this is not something that you want to, oh, it's a side effect. I'm going to manage this on my own. Each time this happens, you definitely want to let your healthcare provider know, and they can help you to decide, okay, this is normal. We maybe need to adjust your medication, or actually we need to bring you in and do some further evaluation. 
Yeah, that's very important. It, it might happen for the first few months when you're on it, but you know, it shouldn't be two years and you're still spotting and nobody has evaluated you because, you know, we want to make sure that there's no uterine cancer when you're having this um, abnormal bleeding or atypical bleeding. Let's do let's talk about some of the forms of estrogen. Sure. Because I, I feel like, man, I can't think of a, a form that they deliver estrogen in currently on the market that that I haven't thought of. Or right. Is, if you want some estrogen, it's you there. can get it. Any, anyway, anyway. So tell us a little bit about the, the estrogen so, placement. You know, I always encourage patients to use the least amount as necessary. And that that's, again, risk versus benefit. And then if you can do it as a topical, then that would be your safest route. But for hot flashes, topical doesn't tend to to do enough. So we're going to need to look towards either a patch, and the patch can be weekly or sometimes biweekly. There's a spray, and the spray is an estradiol spray, mm-hmm. but it uh, is, again, only the estrogen side. So if you do that and you, you like it, you will need to add the progestin as a pill if you have a uterus. And then there's the pill. Uh, the pills can come separate as estrogen or progestin separate or in a combination. And... Lots of varying different doses. So you can start mm-hmm. low, always want to start with the lowest effective dose and then t- t- taper up or up as needed. And uh, did you say patch? I said patch, patch first, yeah. You said patch first. And again, patch is going to probably be my favorite because of the, the liver. Yep. Yeah. So what do you find that most of your patients have been on through the years? Definitely patches. There's... I don't know the um, generic name for it, but Chimera, Chimera Pro, mm-hmm. Combi mm-hmm. Patch, those are really great patches. And then, you know, Estradiol, I would say, is is mainstream only because the other estrogen uh, comes from, you know, horse urine. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. so when patients hear that, it's, it's a little less um, of an option that they tend to want. But, yeah, patches are easy and a little safer. And there is a vaginal ring, which is underutilized. And I think because sometimes it's not affordable and insurance doesn't doesn't favor that. But there is a vaginal ring that you can place for three months that has hormones. Um, and it's, it's effective. And as Kes said, it's safe because it bypasses um, your liver. Um, I'm thinking about anything that gels. It's a ring, though. Can I just talk? Is a ring for hot flashes or just for vaginal dryness? There's two. Okay. So there's the FemHurt and then there's the Estrit. The yeah. FemHurt would be for yeah. hot flashes. Yep. And it's F-E-M-H-R-T. Right, right. But so it's strong enough to give you some... The medical term is vasomotor symptoms, but hot flashes. Correct. So, yeah, so that is a, a, that's a good point. There's two different types of vaginal rings that contain estrogen, and it has to be the one with the, the higher dose. Right. The estrogen is for vaginal dryness for women who've had menopause. So, yeah, I, I've always said that when I get ready, I'm like, I want to try that spray. I don't know. There's something about that spray that just speaks. But I will say the progesterone, I, let's speak on that real, real quick. And we're not going to get into too much detail, but there's some women that are taking progesterone every single day and then some people that are prescribed every few months to take. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I tend to prescribe it every day. It, it, it goes back to patient preference. If you prescribe it, sometimes 
once a month or once every three months, the patient is more apt to have a period or not really a period to have a withdrawal bleed, but not everyone will have a bleed. So it goes back to, again, patient preference for me or for the patient. So you can, as long as you prescribe the progestin to where you're keeping the uterus, then you can do whatever the patient mm-hmm. prefers. So when she says keeping the uterus in, she's speaking to the endometrium. So the lining of the uterus is the endometrium and it responds to estrogen. And so when you have estrogen, it grows. And so if you give it daily, the progesterone kind of keeps the growth in check. And so it stays nice and thin and you shouldn't have a period. But if you do like every three months, then potentially, you know, we don't know how much growth you have. And so if you have the progesterone, it can tell you can have a withdrawal bleed or you can shed the lining. And and again, it's not your period. Okay, ladies, that's not a period. (laughs) That's a take. And so there's some women who, you know, they don't want to take, you know, they want to minimize hormones. and, And I get that. However, you can have more side effects and compliance may be an issue because I've, I've had patients and I won't say not through any fault of my own, but, you know, you just forget. I mean, they forget that they're supposed to be taking the progesterone. Um, that, that would be my fear. Yeah, that, and that's my fear, too, yeah. because what happens, guys, is if you don't, if you let that estrogen um, dominate and the lining goes, grows unchecked, it can put you at risk for uterine cancer. And so... That's why if it's going to just take you, you know, to if you need to take it every day to remember it, as opposed to, oh, I forgot and I haven't taken it in three or four months, you know, that that potentially can be an issue. And you can do, and you're doing it daily, the dose that you need of progestin can be so small. It doesn't have to be a, a large dose of progestin. Exactly. Exactly. Hot flashes. I think, I think we've done good. I think we've touched on all bases. I have a parting statement. What final words would you like to share? Parting words. I would say, think about what you can do in your life to potentially improve your overall health to where some of these things may not worsen because there's a lot that we can do on our own. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I was going to echo that. You know, there are definitely things that you can do to change your lifestyle. They probably may not be easy, Mm -hmm. um, but cutting back on sugar, cutting back on caffeine is not necessarily going to be beneficial for your hot flashes, but it's also going to help with a whole bunch of other stuff. So those lifestyle changes are key. I want you to understand that you are not powerless in this process and they they can get really bad and disrupt your 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 family. They could disrupt your marriage because your poor husband is cold and yes. <laughs> and freezing. But, you know, I really want you to understand that if you're having issues with it, this is bread and butter gynecology. Any, any, and even primary care doctors are really good with this. So if you're having an issue, don't try to manage it on your own. You know, if you are not quite in the perimenopausal period, you know, just start having a discussion about it if you get mid-40s. So you can be well-versed and so you don't have to suffer and and have a decline in your quality of life. This is definitely something that you can manage. And there are lots of people, medical providers that can help you with it. So, Absolutely. so Cass, it has been wonderful, been wonderful, wonderful having you. You're always such a, a good resource. And 
it's it's always weird for me. I'm I'm doing guests this season. So it's weird for me to like, I'm a gynecologist and I know these answers, but I love learning to hear how other practitioners think and how they practice. And so, you know, I love you and I love that you take care of me and you've done a great, great job and that I haven't had to use any of this stuff yet so we're gonna keep it that way so guys next time we'll be releasing another episode in a week make sure you check that out i would love it if you would give a review this was a really good episode with lots of information so if you will leave us a review on apple Podcasts, google play or spotify i would greatly appreciate it and Kes, we're gonna have you back again i want to get it on record right thank you for having <laughs> I think it's awesome that you are educating the community when you are. You're just a bright spot. Okay. So thank you. I didn't get a yes, (laughs) y'all. But we'll get her back. All right. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Office Visits with Dr. V. My prayer is that something said on this podcast will get you started on a path to your optimal health and wellness. The information, including opinions and recommendations discussed in this podcast, is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Such information is not intended to be a substitute for the advice of a qualified and licensed physician or other healthcare provider. Although I'm a doctor, this does not replace the advice of your licensed physician or healthcare provider. So please, seek the advice of a qualified healthcare professional before making any changes to your healthcare regimen. And another thing, just by listening to this podcast doesn't make me your doctor. However, if you want to stay connected, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Office Visits with Dr. V. And go to my website at OfficeVisitsWithDrV.com. That's OfficeVisitsWithDrV.com. Let's follow up next time. Blessings.